the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. We're going to be taking a look at John chapter 17 today. John chapter 17, the whole chapter. So it's going to be an overview. Many of you may know or call this particular chapter the High Priestly Prayer. But I, I, I think, or I kind of get the feeling, I should say, in my opinion, that sometimes we miss things that Jesus is trying to get us to see and understand here. So I hope by kind of going through the whole chapter at one time, give you the overview and and look at the point I think that Jesus is bringing out here, it will help us in our understanding. Now we're going to start, uh, well, you know, let me just say this. The the, the prayer here is complex. Uh, It may uh, pose some difficulties for us, and let me tell you a few reasons why I think it's difficult and sometimes uh, misunderstood. Number one, Jesus speaks from his human nature here, but he also speaks from his divine nature. Our human language will again fail us in trying to speak precisely of him. It's almost incomprehensible how Jesus can be both human and divine. So when he does this, when he speaks from both his natures in the same context, it can become difficult for us, maybe even confusing. Some of the terminology he uses might be unfamiliar to us. They are common words, but they have uncommon meanings or uncommon understandings, like the word glory, eternal life, to know, K-N-O-W, know, and the word name. These things take on deeper spiritual significance when he uses them here. And a prayer is basically a unit. Hard to break it down into manageable parts, but we're going to try to do that. And it's so lofty. We're standing on holy ground here. Only Jesus could pray a prayer like this. It's not one that we could duplicate. Now we're going to divide this chapter up into three parts. We might divide the chapter like this. Verses 1 through 8, the earthly mission of the Son of God. Verses 9 to 19, Jesus' request concerning the apostles. And then 20 to 26, his request concerning all disciples. So let's start with that first point. The earthly mission of the Son of God, verses 1 through 8, Let's read the text. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, 
Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to, that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and they truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. Note the actions of Jesus there in verse 1. These things he spoke, that is, he spoke these things in the hearing of the apostles, and lifting his eyes to heaven, that's a visual emphasis to those watching him. The prayer was for the benefit of the apostles and for future generations of disciples. Now, verse, that's verse 1. Now, verses 2 and 3, Jesus talks of the uh, authority given to him over all mankind. Now, the word authority speaks of rule and dominion over men. His mission was not to select just a few men to send off to just one nation for just one generation. No, not at all. The purpose or the exercise of this authority was to offer God's gift of eternal life to all men. He says there um, at uh, uh, verse 1, the hour has come. This brings to mind the final phase of his earthly mission. God is reaching out to men through Jesus. In him, God is working out the salvation of men, providing the means whereby we might be reconciled to God. And Jesus asks that the glory of God would shine through the cross. That terrible hour is going to come, and Jesus does not want to shrink back. Now, he says uh, also there, verse 3, he uses that phrase, eternal life. That has to do with knowing God through Jesus. The expression does not merely mean life without end, but coming into the very life of God in Jesus. God first shared in our earthly life that we might share in his. I think he's getting a more spiritual life. That's the eternal life he's talking about there. And Jesus, uh, so Jesus is given authority over all mankind. Verses 4 and 5, he glorified the Father on earth. He explains that the means by which he glorified the Father was, was in accomplishing the work of the Father that he commissioned him to do. There were plenty of opportunities to seek his own glory, but he did not do that, did he? And with his mission accomplished, Jesus asks to be glorified by the Father, verse 5. He's talking about the former glory he shared with the Father. In taking on the human form, Jesus gave up the glorious fellowship with the Father. Remember that um, where he says, um, 
in, Philipp yeah, in Philippians, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a man. That's what he's talking about here. He wants to, he can't wait to get back to that glory. The Father will give it back to him when he ascends back into heaven. The work is all done. Now, verses 6, 7, and 8, Jesus uh, uh, uses that term manifested. He manifested the name of the Father to men on earth. To manifest something means to make known or to explain something. And the manifesting of the name or the revealing of the Father was only accomplished with the few given to Jesus out of the world. Man, that's sad. Unbelief was that rampant. It was that bad. He says, I manifest your name. The word name seeks of more than just a label by which we might call somebody. Um, Christ is saying that he revealed the Father to the world. The unseen God became known through Jesus. He manifested him. You know, that's, that's exactly what the Jews were supposed to do. They were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, that they may know God through the people, through the children of God. They, they failed at that miserably. That is our job today as Christians. We are to be manifesting Christ in us. And if Christ is in us, then God is in us, right? He manifests. Here's the, we are shining lights for the world to see so that they may know God. In the humanity of Jesus, God is sending a message to all men, revealing his divine nature and his great desire for us. What God is offering us in Jesus is life. He came that we might share with God in his life. Jesus has authority to give us that life if we're only willing to open our eyes to see and with our ears to hear his word. Next, he goes uh, to verses 9 to 19. I title this, Jesus' Request for the Apostles. I start there in verse 9. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I have come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. 
For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. The request for the apostles. you got the goal, you have the reason, and you have the means all listed out here. In verses 11 and 12, this is the goal. That they may be one, right? That they may be one. Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me. Jesus has been watching over them, but he's leaving. And the request here is for the Father, for God, to keep them safe in his name, which is the revelation of who he is. They will be safe when they continue on in what that name represents. You know, in verses 9, 10, and 11, note how Jesus uses the word world. It's cosmos in the, in the Greek. And it refers to those who do not belong to him. But in verse 11, it is the realm he, uh, he is departing to return to the Father. The apostles are no longer among the lost of the world, but will remain on in the realm of the world. See, that's verses 14 and 15. You know, all humanity is divided in two camps. That's it. Lost and saved. And there in verse 12, you get that phrase, that they may be one, even as we are. This request is more than a desire for their unity. The Greek expression does not mean that they might become one or become united, but rather remain or continue as one. We enter into a new relationship with one another. The concern is in losing any out of the oneness. Now that's key. We'll come back to that. We don't want to lose anybody out of this oneness. That's the goal, that they may be one. Verse 13, here's the reason. Jesus will no longer be with them. He has guarded them while with them by means of the things he spoke while in the world. Being physically separated from them, he desires that they have his joy. This will see them through the tough times. It will give them insight. You know, the Hebrew writer speaks of this in the same way. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, there he says, speaking of Jesus' joy, who for the joy set before him, that's Christ, endured the cross, despising the, sh the shame. The joy set before him was this. He knew what this was going to do for mankind. Mankind was putting him on it, true, but he knew what this would do for him. It would save us. And that was the joy. And that's what the, he's praying for the apostles, that they could look beyond the persecution and the hardships of this world to see the joy that was set before them. What will this do for their fellow mankind? Everything. Everything. That's the joy. The goal the reason, now the means, there in verses 14 through 19. The guarding, remaining as one, is by means of the word. The word that Jesus brought changed these men. It took them out of the world. They began to look and began to act differently. Their decision was a condemnation on the world, turning their backs on the world, and the result was hatred 
from the world. Now, Jesus is not requesting the, the easy solution here, there, verse 15. That is, removing them would assure their safety, remove them out of the world, but it would defeat God's purpose, right, of sending the word into the world. What is the word? The word is Christ Jesus. In the very beginning of John's Gospel, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Later on, verse 14, I think it is, or 17, the, the Word became flesh. That's Jesus. That's who he is. And he's praying that these apostles will continue that work, the Word. That's what's going to keep them. He's not requesting thing that you know they be taken out of the world but they may be that but that they may stay there but with the word the importance of that word it brings the light of truth into the darkness of this realm it sets apart the people of god from those of the evil one it is the means of sanctification for us there are not many groups of sanctified people is there there's just one it's christ that's it. And if you're listening to this, you're not a part of some different group. Now, I'm a minister for what was called the, the Church of Christ. And it's not a name. I'm not a, that's not a label. That's just a description of who we are. We are a church, an assembly of people who belong to Christ. That's it. I don't believe in Catholics or Methodists or if you want to, if you know the term Campbellites, some people call the Church of Christ Campbellites. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in Baptists. I don't believe in anything like that. Nothing. None of those. There are no groups like that. Maybe in this world there are, but in the spiritual realm, it's not. Or not, I shouldn't say spiritual realm. But in the grand scheme of things, there's only two groups, the saved and the lost. That's it. Are you saved or are you not? That's it. And there's only one way to Christ. One way to Christ. There's not many. It's one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me, Jesus says. And he's asking and praying for the oneness here for the apostles. He's going to do that desire for us as well here in a little bit. That word sanctify, its basic meaning, set apart. It's what's here what sets the apostles and all disciples <clears throat> apart from the rest of the world, is our relationship with the truth. Truth is not just true things, but the reality of our existence. Jesus is the embodiment of truth, to which Moses only shadowed. In Jesus, we find the reality, what God intended for his created man. In the world, we live a lie following the deceptions of the liar, Satan. The word Jesus brought reveals the reality. When we enter into it, abiding in it, we will be set apart from the world. Stepping outside of this word, we enter into the realm of lies and deception, leaving truth behind. At verse 19, Jesus first sanctifies himself, setting himself apart of his own free will, submitting himself fully and voluntarily to the will of God the Father. And in like manner, it is our decision to be part of the sanctified. Only a genuine desire for truth, instead of comfort or convenience or tradition, 
will lead us to Christ. It really is that simple. And that's Jesus' request for the apostles. His goal is that they may be one. The reason he's no longer going to be with them. The means of this of this goal is the word. Now look here at verse 20 to the end of the chapter of verse 26. Here's Jesus' desire for oneness. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you and these have known that you sent me and I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that, the, so that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. The means by which oneness is achieved is found here in verses 20 to 24. Belief in Jesus through the word of the apostles. That's first, number one. The message that God gave to the world in Jesus is passed on to every generation by the written word of the apostles. We become a part of those sanctified by believing the word. If we all believe the same, oneness is the result. It starts with a belief in Jesus. You know, verse 20 Shit is where the uh, subject shifts of Jesus' request from, from the men he will leave behind to all of us, of every generation. And the burden of this passage is that oneness, that they all may be one. It's repeated again in verse 22. Remember, Jesus speaks from both the divine and human nature as he discusses this oneness. And there are parallels of this arrangement that we see. Uh, it's easier if I could show you on a board, but I'll just have to leave it in your mind for it. But Maybe the best way to see it is like this. Here's the two perspectives. You've got the divine perspective and you have the human perspective. The divine perspective, think of circles. And the inner circle is Christians. Surrounding that circle is the circle of the Son. And surrounding even that circle is the circle of the Father. That's the divine perspective. Verse 21, and I in you, that they may also be in us. Verse 21. And in the human perspective, you have the first circle, that's the Father. And then surrounding that circle, encompassing that, is the Son. And then surrounding that circle, encompassing it all, is the Christians. That's 23, 26, and 21. I in them, and you in me, and you, Father, are in me. The divine and human come together in Christ. Jesus brought God to humanity, and he brings humanity to God. 
Only those who are truly in Christ will be acceptable to the Father. And there in verses 22, 23, 24, that's the glory of Jesus. And this glory is what was given to Jesus in his humanity. We saw his glory, chapter 1, verse 14. His followers partake of his glory when he is spiritually in them. And if we all reflect the same glory, guess what? Oneness is the result. And 25 and 26 shows the need for oneness. We live in a world that does not know God. Jesus came in order to make him known to the world, to reveal God. Remember when the apostles asked Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He sends out, Jesus sends out the apostles with the same purpose and equipped them with, chapters 14, 15, and 16, the spirit of truth. Of truth. His word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. The world cannot see God, but it can see his Son, as he is in the Christian. Jesus continues to reveal the Father through the lives of his followers. But, what if the followers do not allow Christ to shine forth through them? If his love is not manifested in us, the result will be what we now see in this world of Christendom. Division and not oneness. Think about that, folks. John chapter 17. We need to make the most of our time, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Are we doing that? Read through John chapter 17. Look at that prayer that Jesus had given to the Father for us, the apostles and us, that we may be one. His folks. Here's his last, no, I shouldn't say last, but one of his main statements. Well, it is pretty much his last main statement he's giving to his apostles and for us. Be one. Be one. This is the key. As I and the Father are one, you too be in me. That's what he's saying. Are we? Or are we divided? You know, and the Lord knows. Pray about that. Be a seeker of truth, and don't hold fast to your man-made traditions, but hold fast to the Word of God. Thank you for spending your time with me this afternoon. I pray that the Lord will watch over you. And I also ask that if you have the time, get online and go to our website, www.nvcoc.net, to learn more about this program and my home congregation here at North Valley. May the Lord bless you in all that you do. Amen. Sitting up to sweep away till she'll dawn the better day. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.